listening to Grassroots, www.innovationstudios.com. I am Marcus. It is week 23 of the Q&A and it's the 30th of April 2021. We've had 18 days now of being allowed to do a little bit more than we were allowed to do this time last year. And uh, still no news on when entertainment will be allowed back indoors at the venues and the pubs across the UK. Um, and indeed, probably ac- across Europe as well. But we wait with bated breath, and hopefully we will get some news. The phone is ringing. There are a few shows coming in, but uh, who knows what's uh, round the corner. Anyway, thank you again for your questions this week. I'm going to get straight down to it in a sec and give you my take on um, the questions that you give me. I've had some good, one- good ones this week, so I'm looking forward to answering them. I'll start with my disclaimer, and my disclaimer is that uh, the questions are sent in by you. All of my answers are based on my knowledge and my experiences and the equipment I've used over many years. There are many, many ways to uh, find exactly what you want, and um, I suggest that you explore them all. But if you want to ask me, then I will be honest with my reply and give you as much information as I possibly can. Let's get straight on with it this week. The first question comes from Hillary, and Hillary is in Bexley Heath. Hillary says, hi, Marcus, I just wondered, how do you remember lyrics when you're performing? What do you do when you forget them? Um, The quick answer is panic. Um, No, I think at the end of the day, it's about rehearsals, Hillary. I think it's about being ready. It's about being prepared. Um, But in the heat of the moment, sometimes um, somebody can say something or you can be distracted by something and you can forget, um, you know, your train of thought and where the song is. There is a thing, uh, and I'm not actually sure what it's called, um, but there is a phenomenon. And what it is, is uh, any singer will know that sometimes um, you know that you've got to sing and you're waiting for your cue. And you can't remember what the words are, what the lyrics are. And they won't come to you. They won't come to you. They won't come to you. And you're thinking, my God, just at the point when you start to panic, you open your mouth and the right words come out. I'm not sure what that is, whether it's instinct. There are probably some psychoanalysts or psychotherapists um, or um, neurological scientists out there that would have the answer. But I don't know whether they're likely to listen to Grassroots Music uh, UK. But um, I think what you do is I I always feel that I am the last of not me personally. My generation is the last of the generation that in order to learn a song, we had to put the needle on the record, put the needle on the record um, and sort of listen to it go round and round and round. And these days um, you with, with with the options we've got of being able to print off lyrics and uh, print off chords and within a day of a song being released there's a, a tutorial online of how to play it um i think that um and, and it's not my place to say it but i'm going to say it anyway that musicianship is getting lazier in terms of things are spoon fed to you now if you want to you want to go out there and you want to perform then or learn a particular piece you can download the chords download the guitar tab whereas i always found that um because i come from the generation that listened to the song round and round and round and round sung along with a song put the needle on the record press play on the tape recorder press play on the cd and listen to it listen to it listen to it i end up singing with the original song in my head so 
I always found I was quite lucky, Hillary, in as much as lyrics. Um, I think I'm, I feel I'm very good at lyrics. I don't fluff many lyrics. Um, and I don't know whether that's preparation or just recall. Um, but I found over the years that the lyrics that wouldn't stay in my head, I found that sometimes a good method of learning a lyric was to write it out. Um, either copy it from um, online, which you can do these days. But of course, I, I come from the generation that wrote it out, scribbled it very quickly as, as you listen to it line by line. So I would be writing the lyric out. And then by the time I would finished it, because I'd written it out, the lyric, it almost felt as if it was uh, mine almost. And it felt like I'd created something and therefore it would, maybe because I was analysing it in a different way, it would manifest itself in my head a little bit better. Whereas these days when the lyric is just printed off, I found that I'm getting lazier like everybody else, Hilary. I'm as lazy as, as everybody else. And I use the word lazy. It isn't laziness. But it's, you know, things are there. Things are on tap these days. So I sometimes I look at a song and I think, oh, I'll tap the lyrics. I'll get the lyrics typed up and that'll be okay. And it's never as effective as listening to the song go round and round and round. And then, um, you know, you're singing the song all the time as well. And you're subconsciously learning it. So I find when I'm struggling, um, I write the lyrics out or type them out. And uh, then I've got them and I've almost created them because I've been writing. So I write it and copy it. And then I try and write it from memory and see how much of it I can get. And then I put it right. And then I try and write it from memory again. And in the end... Um, the thing to remember about songs as well that, that, that's important, and this sounds like a strange thing to say, but it's true. Uh, at least I think it is. Um, that songs are created in order to be sung. And if you constantly sing the song and the lyric comes to you um, as you sing it, that's fine. When you start suddenly writing the lyrics out, you take them out of context and you're talking a lyric instead of singing it. So... I think you're better off to just download the lyrics, sing along with a song, and then see how many times you can um, sing it through before you try and remember the first verse, the second verse, the third verse. As with regards to the second part of your question, which was what do you do when you forget them, um, the answer is sometimes you just have to sing whatever part of the song you know until you pick it up. So as long as you know one of the verses and choruses inside out, then you know it's okay to revert to that. I think it's it's all often um, kind of thought, or at least it's a perception, that when a singer forgets the lyrics, they kind of stand there and go, mm -hmm, na -na -na, mm -hmm, um, you know, and don't know what to do. But quite often they'll they'll just sing another part of the song or a separate part of the song there, and um, and get away with it. Or you know, some, sometimes if if it's a particularly good crowd. You might just hold out the microphone and go, you know, um, does anyone know this one? I think a lot of the time as well, um, it's okay. It, as long as you handle it properly, as long as you don't stand there and go, oh, you know, sorry, I forgot that one. If you, if at the end of it, you might sort of go, sorry, that was an alternative version of that one. and Or you might just, you know, at the end of it, when I've played songs where I might have forgotten the words, at the end of it, people clap, or if they clap, I go, no, 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 we don't, we don't applaud for that. That was, you know. Um, but it comes back to a question a few weeks ago, which is, can, can an audience spot a bad musician? 
I think a lot of the time, if you sing the same verse a couple of times, people doubt themselves. They sort of think, oh, hang on a minute. Hasn't he sung that? Oh, no, he must. Oh, okay, now I must have sung. I must have it wrong. So they'd never believe that the bloke in the spotlight would be wrong. But we can be wrong, Hillary. Um, the most important thing is don't panic. We don't panic. We don't get worked up about it. Um, we try not to make faces when we do it as well, so it's not obvious, although I make loads of faces. Um, not when I go wrong, on the rare occasions when I go wrong. Um, but really, it, the, we, we learn by doing the same thing over and over and over again. And if we write down how to drive, then we would never drive. But the fact that we have to go out night after night with our dad or our partner clinging to the seat with their hands on the on the uh, edge of the wheel and one hand on the brake, on the handbrake, um, then I think we have to do it. I always think if you want the job, do the job. You need to do it, sing it, sing the song, sing the song, until in the end you don't think about it. And once you stop thinking about it and you start singing the song whilst subconsciously hearing the original song in your head as well, which is quite important. It's not your not your performance. It's uh, It's not your song. So you have to put your performance across of it. But it's good to have the original tune uh, kind of in your head as well when you're singing it and get lost in it. Enjoy the sound you're making. But um, it really isn't as scary as everybody thinks. It really isn't such a show-stopping thing. And I always clip, click my fingers and I say, what's that? People say, it's you clicking your fingers. I go, no, what it is, is history. I can do another one, but I can't get the original one back. And that's the important thing to remember, that it gets lost in the moment. And if you can quickly recover and pick yourself up, you can still do the rest of the show. And very few people are going to come up and go, what happened with that song you did two songs in the second half? You know, doesn't matter. So don't panic about it. There's nothing to worry about. And uh, thank you for your question, Hilary. And I hope that you are a singer and I hope that you learn your lyrics and I hope that you um, sing them to the best of your ability on the Fridays and Saturdays as soon as we're allowed. Thank you, darling. Innovation Studios has all the tools you would need to bring your music to life. Get in touch to book a free consultation. This is our opportunity to chat about your music, listen to demos, and if you're unsure, find which pricing would fit you best. There are no hidden costs. Once a booking is made and price agreed, there are no further hidden charges. Our team at Innovation Studios are professional musicians we know that sometimes a recording may run into an extra hour or an extra day your original price will stand. Guidance that will help you make a great sounding album at an affordable price. www.innovationstudios.com Our next question is from Leslie in Langdon Hills. And Leslie said, Hi Marcus, should smaller players use smaller instruments or learn to adapt to playing full-sized ones. Hi, Leslie. Um, smaller people, i.e. children or ladies, should look um, towards looking at three-quarter-size guitars. Um, I mean, instruments. I mean, obviously, things like pianos and stuff like that, mandolins and banjos are pretty much self-explanatory, but but guitars come in a, very, a variant of sizes. Um I think you should look to get, um, as I've said before, I always think that a good acoustic guitar, and they do do some um, thin line ones, the thin line uh, range from Gear for Music. I should get sponsored by them, really. Um, I've found to be the most effective for ladies. My daughter is 14. Um, 
and my partner um, both play and Cheryl and they both find that the slimline thin line they're called thin line uh, guitars are better for them the problem is that when you're when you're not as big um, it's getting your arm over the top of an acoustic if you're only a teenager or if you're only sort of 10 or 12 years old don't you know if you've got a jumbo sized acoustic guitar I mean I struggle to get my arm over those they're pretty tough to play so Yes, you should look to get uh, three-quarter size. Obviously, children, you're looking to get a half size or a three-quarter size to learn on because you want everything to be the same. And I think it's the same as if you bought, um, you know, an eight-year-old snooker cue. It's no good getting one that's twice as tall as them. You need to cut it down or get one that's the same. They they reckon that the snooker cue should come to your shoulder, by the way, if you ever play snooker. But that's what they reckon. So... um, you know, if you've got one that goes way over your head, you're never going to be able to play to any decent standard because you're going to you're going to have too much going on. And guitars are the same. If you've got you're trying to reach around or reach over the top, you can't always see what you're doing. You can't always see what you're playing and you can't always get your arm around enough to play the guitar in the right place. So, yeah, I mean, I, I there's always stories of people who say I learned to play on my dad's old guitar and it was too big for me. But I think you find that you end up playing it like a coffee table. You end up laying it down and then that's that's no good at all. So you need to copy the right techniques. And in order to have the right technique and to have the guitar in the right place, you need a smaller guitar if you're a smaller frame, a smaller size or if you're younger. So, yes, um, Leslie, it's always good to get a smaller guitar if you are smaller. Lionel says Marcus as a musician is it better to be an introvert or an extrovert Lionel how are you mate um this is a this is a difficult one because performing takes a lot of energy and being the guy in the spotlight and being on stage you're expected to be quite outgoing I think um I don't think we all try and be too over the top it's getting the mix right Lionel I think it's getting um I like to think of myself as fairly a fairly uh calm kind of private I think I'm a fairly private person fairly boring all right but um when I'm on stage I think people expect um a certain side of you to come out I always feel that um rather than being an introvert or an extrovert I always feel it's it's nice if you can maybe find that side, the side of your personality that kind of, if you're the centre of attention at barbecues or if you're the one who's talking or, or you can hold an audience of maybe two or three people and tell them a funny story at a family gathering, then I think it's important to have that. But then you kind of ramp it up. I always feel the best ones that I've seen, um, the best musicians I've seen and the ones that were the most... Um, accessible I suppose were the ones that had just turned the amplifier up on who they were they had a fairly great personality anyway a very good sense of humor anyway and they were able to turn the personality up and turn the volume up and I think then the character becomes believable and I've already referenced snooker so let me reference maybe wrestling uh, WWE if you watch the wrestling you find that the most believable characters tend to be the ones who you look at them and you think oh he's not He's, he's not pretending to be that guy that he's coming across as he's, he's right into the character he's right into that person. 
I know my onstage character is an extrovert. And in life, I am a fairly middle of the road kind of person. I can be loud when I want to. I can be quiet when I want to as well. But um, you, you find that a lot of comedians and a lot of stage actors away from the stage are very introverted. I suppose it's because you have to have both ends of the spectrum. In order to be that performer, you have to be able to be uh, quiet and have and have your time to come down from the performance and get up for the performance. And I think it's um, it's better to uh, it's better to be an introvert that can turn the volume up than an extrovert who's going to be in your face a bit a little bit too much. Believe me, sometimes you can be a little bit too much for people, and now your music might be good. Because you're so over the top or you're trying to get the point across, it doesn't come across as that. And it can come across as arrogance. It can come across as just uh, unprofessional. It can come across as losing control. Um, Whereas being introverted and just doing your job, people might say, well, he doesn't say much, but he played really well. So I think... You know, it's uh, it's better to be an introvert that's able to turn the volume up a little bit than it is to be someone who's absolutely celebrity big brother in your face, you know, all the time. Because they tend to um, be the the very the first one at the party and the last one to leave. But very rarely are they uh, holding court. People are usually avoiding them and thinking, oh, God, I can't. He's a bit too loud. I can't deal with him. And I think... If you turn the volume up on being an introvert, people might want to talk to you in the break and say, I really like what you do. But if you're in their face, people won't. You'll, you'll be, you know, sitting out in the car reading a book until it's time to go back on again because no one's going to want to talk to you because they'll think, my God, you know, you, you probably chew my face off because you're like a big bear up there, you know, when you're over the top. So just be, um, if you've got a quiet side, that's great. If you've got a side to you that's probably a good storyteller or somebody who's just, um, you can make a few jokes, you can, um, you know, turn the volume up on the introvert side of yourself and get it just about right. I think I've, in in my opinion, it's different hats for different cats. I've, I've, over the years, I've fronted a four piece rock band and I was, the volume was turned right up on that character. And then I've played a care home and I've just been doing my job and maybe just been kind of accessible and talking to people and saying, oh, here's one you might, you know, you remember this song is an old one. And then I've had the in-between kind of character who's, who's doing the social clubs. So it's good to have different levels. Um, but uh, you have to be brave enough to get up there as well. If you're too much of an introvert, and you're too scared to get up there, then the nerves and the stage fright will take over. Um, and you don't want that to happen to your line, I can promise you. You've got to be brave enough to get up there, strong enough to get up there, and not be scared to get up there. Um, and then when you're up there, you've then got to get the plateau about right so that people will talk to you in the breaks. You can be accessible. Um, I always try and come across as basically the same as them. We're all out on a Saturday night. I'm singing the songs, you're listening. But you know what? At the end, um, we'll have a pint and we'll talk about what we did and and there you go. But um, it's it's better to be an introvert that can turn the volume up, Lionel. Here's a great question. I like this one. Um, how are you, Marcus? In your... Sorry, I didn't tell you who it was from. <laughs> this is a question from Kirsty. 
And Kirsty is in, where are we? Outward Commons. That's Billericay Way, isn't it, Kirsty? Kirsty says, hi, Marcus, you've just completed an album. Do you feel bereft or elated? Um, that's a really, really great question. In my opinion, of course. Um, I think when I complete an album, I think we feel the sense of achievement. I think I feel the sense of achievement. Um, I don't, uh, because I'm, I, I always think that you should keep yourselves moving. And if you're in a band that's working on an album, I think two thirds of the way through that album, you should start thinking about working on maybe getting one or two ideas down for the next one because it isn't really as simple as um, finishing an album and having nothing else to go from. I think um, if you constantly open up your mind to ideas and and little loops or little um, guitar riffs or little pieces um, and you've got sort of a couple of germs of ideas or maybe an album title for the next album, which is the first thing I think of two thirds of the way through this album. I'm already, although this album gets my full attention, subconsciously, I'm already thinking about the title for the next one. And um, also maybe a, a, I might, by the time I, I complete this album, I've got two or three songs or two or three ideas towards the next one. So it's not as simple or it's not as involved for me anyway, in my opinion, that I finish an album and then I have nothing because I always think even if I have nothing, I have, you know, a plethora of ideas and bits that I've collected over the years that I can go back and listen to and do something with. I have people I work with who are songwriters and might have an idea. So I'm always switched on to the idea of creating the next song. But we all have that blank page thing where you're thinking, I, I want to, you know, I want I want to write something today. And it doesn't sometimes it doesn't come to you. And then it sounds like you're forcing the issue and then maybe you're not happy with it. But um, I usually feel when I finish an album, um, I'm in my case, I'm glad that the work is done and that and that it's sounding the way it's sounding. Um because I would have made sure that it, it sounded the best it could. And then um, I'm over the moon that it's done because every album that, in my personal experience, but I'm sure I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that feel the same. My personal experience is that when I finish an album, it's another chapter of my life that I am uh, documenting almost. If I want to, you know, if I want to listen to how I sounded at 24, I'll go and listen to the Ugly Village Hall album by Walter Wall. And I'll listen to those songs. If I want to hear, you know, uh, how I felt or, or maybe how my voice was in 2016, I'll go and listen to Live Here, Die Here. And I like to, um, it's a document of my life. And it's a part of my life. It's months and months and months in a studio with an end result. A bit like a painter, a bit like a comedian, a bit like any art form. You put the work in and then you get the end result. And I'd imagine there are probably some comedians or painters who, when they finish a piece, they look at it and they think that's a job well done and you stand back. And then maybe the next morning you're thinking, OK, what am I going to do? But I think I can't say that I feel deflated because that would be standing still and I'd be deflated that something is over that was so much fun. 
we can all you know we can all feel like that i think we've always we've all had holidays where we've come home and wished we hadn't had to come home um but no i think i I feel excited about the next project and if i'm absolutely honest absolutely honest about halfway through an album I have heard it so many times that I I need to take a break from it. And usually when I'm taking a break over that two or three weeks, that's when I'm thinking about the next album. And I've just, you just have to have something, I think, in order to to, uh, keep you moving. And if I've got a working title, then at least I'm moving. I think if I just said, this is my album, I'm doing nothing after this one. I think maybe if I decided I was going to do one more album and that was going to be it, I would never do any any songwriting again or make another album. I would probably feel deflated because I'd think, well, that's it now. Um, or elated if I'd made that decision and, and the album would come out well and, you know, uh, and I didn't have to worry about it anymore. Um, but no, it, it, usually I feel happy that it's over and excited about moving on to the next project um, rather than feeling sad that this one is over. But uh, thank you very much for your question, Kirsty. The next question comes from Lorraine. And Lorraine is in Stamfordly Hope. Oh, Stamfordly Hope, yes. And Lorraine says, Hi, Marcus, can you switch off and on when you're writing or do you need to lock yourself away for days on end? Um, no, I... I I like to think that I can switch it on and off. Um, it's a bit like any job. I think, um, particularly now, I think that the, the way the world has been over the last uh, 18 months, 16 months, actually, um, people have kind of worked from home. Now, one of the things about working from home is maybe it's not as easy to finish and walk out of the office and, and your work is done for the day. You're surrounded by stuff you've got to do. Um, and you learn over time, to be able to switch it off. It's the, the idea is sometimes I like a tap. And any songwriter out there, and I'm sure there are loads of them, and, and, and the ones that I've spoken to over the years, and there are obviously, listen back to the grassroots interviews, uh, Lorraine, and have a listen to them. Um, you'll find that uh, the story is quite similar, which is that there's a lot of ideas, a lot of um, sort of little germs of ideas flying around in your head all at one time. And sometimes you want to be able to switch them off and sometimes you can't. So you have to kind of separate yourself from them by demoing them. One acoustic, one vocal, or just a very, very quick demo. Then it's out of your head and you can revisit it whenever you want You want to. Um, you separate yourself from those demos. Um, I've got a gentleman who's uh, spoke to me recently, Jim Wolfe. And uh, Jim's a singer-songwriter. He's, he's been very, very well known on the, um, I was going to say the amateur dramatic scene, but uh, the performance stages across that he's played the Cliffs and stuff like that as as part of his drama group. Um, and he was talking about, he's got so many songs that he just wants to get them out of his head and he just wants to get them finished. Um, and you need to be able to step away from the song. If it's taking up space in your head, Owen Williams said on his interview with me, the songs are taking up space in my head and I don't I need to get them out. So when you get them out, then you're able to switch it off. And I think that's a part of the switching it on and off process is when the ideas come to you, 
sometimes it's nice to get them straight out if you've got a chance. Finish work or whatever, straight in the in the man cave. Just sorry, darling, I have dinner ten minutes later today. Straight in, guitar, vocal, microphone, get it down, and then you can revisit it later. When it's in your head, that's when you can't switch off. Um, but also, I think sometimes you can allow um, different um, ideas to come to you in different ways. If I'm on holiday, I don't write a song when I'm on holiday because I'm not surrounded by guitars or musical equipment or, you know, anything that can really suggest that I'm going to write a song. So I've learned over the years, I think, well, I'm definitely not going to write the song this this week. So I'm going to just leave it. I think you have to be, I was talking to Anna about this, Anna Reynolds, who's a singer-songwriter. She's 15. And uh, we work together on, uh, we're working together on working on her debut album, which I'm hoping that um, I'll play quite a big role in, but I'm not going to assume anything yet. Um, and I was saying to Anna that in order to write songs it's very much, and other other songwriters have, have said this as well, I'm not alone with this, you need to be in a certain state of mind. It's not like you'll be walking down the road with your kids or getting an ice cream and then a song will come and tap you on the shoulder. Songs are like a spiritual thing. It's very much like people who are spiritualist mediums. And believe me, I'm no expert on this, but I have studied it. I have a history of spiritualist mediums in my family. My nan was one. And I know that she she didn't always have the gift 24 hours a day. She wouldn't be sitting there in front of crossroads and loads of people in a in a living room walking around giving messages to, to the living. It was just that when she was in a particular state of mind, she was able to communicate with these uh, spirits. And songs, I think, are like spirits. I think they're all out there and we kind of drag one down. They're all like little helium balloons that float above us. And if we get in a certain state of mind, then we'll reach up and we'll grab one. We can suddenly see them or we can suddenly feel them or suddenly they'll come to you. And I know that sounds heavy. I know it sounds weird. But go and read up on stuff. Go and read up on songs that were written in five minutes. Go and read up on how songs were written in so many different ways. From Jarvis Cocker with a, a Casio keyboard writing Common People, which was just him messing about to people who write songs in the back of taxis because they've got an acoustic guitar or on the tour bus and they write the song in five minutes. And Highway Star by Deep Purple, I mean, there's a story that they were playing um, on the bus with the press during the day. And then somebody said, how do you write the song? And Richie Blackmore said, like this. And he started playing it and Ian Gillen started singing it. And that night the, the song was in the show. It was just the inspiration rather than perspiration perspiration is when you lock yourself away for days on end because you've got targets to meet i.e someone says we need 10 songs by the end of the week then you've got to make it happen And as i said to anna you've got to be able to sometimes create a song from nothing when the inspiration isn't there when you don't feel as inspired as you usually do when you're not reaching up and finding the songs because they're not there you're not feeling it but yet you've got people banging on your drum and saying, look, we need these songs by the end of the week. You've got to find something. That's when you lock yourself away. And that's when you mess around on the guitar until you find a few things that work. Everybody out there that listens to grassroots music, and even if you've never listened to grassroots music, 
knows, we have all made a Lego model that we're absolutely immensely proud of, right? And I don't mean one of these that comes in a box and you just put it together. We've all built something over the years where we've gone, wow, you know, that's really great out of the Lego. That's what we've done. And that's an inspired thing. But there's other days when you're sitting there, you're playing with your kids with a Lego and you're trying to make something, you know, I don't really know what to do. And you just put a load of bricks together and see what happens. And then you end up sort of going, I'll keep it simple. I'll just build a house. And then once you've got your house, you suddenly sort of go, well, maybe if I change, put a couple of extra windows on there. But ultimately, it's not inspired. It's just you and a load of bricks. And when you're trying to, you lock yourself away, it's you and a load of cords and a load of ideas. And you've got to make it happen. And it's a very plastic way to write a song. And usually, you know, the proof of the pudding, I guess, from the people I've spoken to and the albums I've worked on and the, and the uh, either, either as an engineer or as a session musician over the years, usually find that the songs that take the longest to write are usually the ones that uh, take the longest time for people to get to like as well. The inspired ones are the ones that are, you know, five minutes. And the, it's not an exact rule, but usually it's kind of the way it works. So I like inspiration because it's nice to be able to stretch up and find a song when the songs come to you. But I like perspiration, i.e. locking myself away, because you have to dig really, really deep and find something that isn't there. And when you find something that isn't there, then the inspiration comes to you because you've found something and you say, right, I've got this little idea. Let's do something with it. I've made this little Lego house, but no, I'm going to make it a block of flats. Let's do it. And then you start building. But um, there's an argument for both. But I always believe that um, it's nice to be able to switch it off and to be able to not think about it. And I've learned to do that over years. Um, if I have to do it, I'll lock myself away. If I choose to do it, then I'll wait for the inspiration to hit. But, I, but when I do that, when I'm waiting for inspiration... I'm surrounded by guitars or instruments where I can do that. If I go on holiday, I don't write songs. If I go out with my kids for the day, I don't write songs. I don't write songs when I'm, you know, swimming. I don't write songs when I'm walking or or hiking anywhere or, or, or out on my bike. But I write songs when I'm in the right frame of mind to do it. End of story. But thank you very much for your question. Innovation Studios, hoodies, many colours and sizes available. Our logo proudly emblazoned on the front. The back can be personalised with your name or your nickname, or anything you want as long as it isn't too shocking. Click to order online, www.innovationstudios.com. This question comes from Craig in Hemel Hempstead. Hi Marcus, I hope you're well and life is treating you kindly. I just wonder, do you find it awkward to sing lyrics written for women to sing about men? Um, yeah, this is a tough one for me to answer, Craig. Um, I saw this question last week and I had to think about it. I thought I'll roll it over to this week because I had to think about it. Because in the environment that we live in these days and with the way that uh, we're all, um, you know, being ourselves... 
and there are no right or wrong ways to do anything. Um, I feel that um, it's very much a case of everybody can be who they want to be and sing what they want to sing and it doesn't really matter. When I started 30 years ago, um, it was a slightly different world and I always felt that a song has an identity and I, th I remember being... Before I really got into music, I remember, and I can't remember his name, but on the Des O'Connor show, this is how old I am, right? Des O'Connor. Um, there was a guy on there and he was singing a song and he sang, I Know Her So Well. Now, if anybody knows that song, it's a, it's a duet between Barbara Dixon and Elaine Page. It's called I Know Him So Well. But him changing the lyric to I Know Her So Well, it didn't resonate right something didn't feel right about it now that's not to say that some songs can be changed around and that a woman can't sing sweet caroline or that a, a woman can't sing is this the way to amarillo a, a woman can sing a man's song or a song that's made famous by a man of course but i think when you're trying to um analyze things like this I never ever felt comfortable doing it and, and I think really just because I'm a bit you know I, I'm a I'm a tall solid guy you know I mean I'm six foot six solid 17 and a half 18 stone you know and I wouldn't necessarily want to stand there and sing I know him so well or you know or to sing a song that was written specifically um, about a man not because I'm not comfortable with my sexuality not because I disrespect anybody's right to be who they want to be and love anybody that they want to love but just because out of respect for the song the song wasn't written and wasn't created to be that so for me it's a little bit of of one of those things where it's always an awkward question to answer and I'm trying to be fair and I'm trying to be honest um I always found it a little bit uh, strange to do purely and simply because it, it just for me it just that that was it was taking the song out of context and the most important thing about what I do is the songs that I'm singing and if I have to change the 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 whole meaning of a song and the whole that somebody has has written and has probably felt and has probably cried over and has probably st stressed over and has probably spent months getting right, for me to come along and just rip that song apart and make it suit me doesn't feel like it's something I should do. And there are many songs over the years that were written by women that I wish that I could have sung, just like Jesse James by, by Cher. I love that. But it just wouldn't work if I sang it because I wouldn't want to change the words to make it fit me because then it doesn't work. And if I sing the original words, I'm not being true to the, the, the real true meaning of the song. But that isn't to say that it's wrong. And that isn't to say that uh, my opinions are, I mean, my, my, all of my opinions are there to be shot down. All right. I, I'm happy for that. I've got no problem with that. But on a, on a subject like this, my personal opinion is that um, if a song is written specifically for uh, a woman to sing about a man, 
I don't want to change that just because I like the song. There's always another song I can choose that means the same. And that's the important thing. I wouldn't want to sing, um, you know, You're Simply the Best. I have sung over the years. I've sung the odd, you know, I've done Nutbush City Limits. I've sung um, songs that were famously recorded by uh, women and were massive hits. Um, But if it's a particular song, I wouldn't want to stand there and sing I Know Her So Well. And um, I just feel you're, you're taking away the true the true meaning of the song that and, and the uh, the real deep message of it. And, you know, my personal opinion, somebody, other people might not think about it. They just do it. You know, some people sing Chain Reaction. Some guys I know sing Chain Reaction and they just sing it. And you know what? People enjoy it and they have a great time and nobody questions it and nobody really worries about it. So, look, maybe I'm the mug, all right? But I just feel sometimes some songs are too too much. Like, I wouldn't stand there and sing Adele, Someone Like You, because Adele cries when she sings it. She probably cries, she heard me bloody sing it as well. But Adele cries when she sings it because it means so much to her. If I come along and sing it, it just doesn't, for me, it doesn't feel like I should be doing it. I feel like a big phony, and that's what it is. I don't, it's nothing to do with a a gender thing. It's nothing to do with any of that. It's that I just feel like a big phony. And I always think it's more important in this business to be true to who you are and true to yourself in terms of your performance and how you feel when you're performing than it is to just sing anything you want to do in any key you want to sing it because you need another three and a half minute song. So always a touchy subject. I hope that I answered that in the most polite and the, and the most politically correct way that I could. If I didn't, I apologise. But um, I'm on the spot with that. But rather than ignore any questions like that, I'm happy to answer it. All right. Um, thanks for your question. The last question this week is from Michael. And Michael is in Tilbury. And Michael says, Hi Marcus, my friend's father reversed over their instrument recently. I just wonder what's the worst damage you've inflicted on your instruments? Other than playing them in front of an audience? Um, that's a nasty one, yeah. I think I, I dropped a guitar. I was playing a place called the Dutch House in Elton one night and I put my guitar on its stand and it fell off the stand and the headstock snapped off. And I had about 45 minutes of the show still to go so fortunately it was a duo show and I wasn't stood on my own so um, I had Ken with me and he was able to you know we made a joke about it we laughed it off and I was able to stand there and sing but yeah I snapped my guitar which was uh, just it was no good to anybody couldn't really repair it it was a terrible terrible breakage and I was gutted Um, but yeah I've, I've done that I've heard stories of people who have put their acoustic guitar down and then packing away at the end of the night, laid it on the floor and then trod on it and put their foot straight through it. I've heard stories of people who have laid their their acoustic down or had it in a case and somebody's come up at the end of the night drunk and trod on it and broken it. Or they've had their guitar uh, leaned against their amp and someone's knocked it. But usually, um, we're usually fairly careful with our instruments. I haven't heard too many horror stories um, but as for me, it was probably when I knocked the guitar off the stand and broke the headstock. I was, I was so annoyed, and 
I just remember it happening. And the reason I remember it happening clear as day is when it happened, um, it was, I mean, not every, not everywhere I played was packed, but on this particular night, it was very, very busy and everybody saw it happen. And there was a very, very big part of me that wanted to go Pete Townsend and just smash the hell out of it and jump on it and smash it and then just throw it in the bin. And I, in the end, I just put it back on the stand and just carried on. But um, I had to deal with, you know, are oh, you going to play guitar on this one? Uh, um, all night, for the, you know. But um, yeah, I, I didn't, I, I resisted the temptation to smash it up and to throw it in the bin. Um, but uh, in the, instead of it, I, um, the next day I took everything out of it. I took all of the um, tuners off of it. I took the bridge off of it. I took all the strings off of it. And I took the um, the electrics out of it, and then I fitted them to my twelve string, which so it lives on as in as much as I fitted the the electronics into another guitar, which now I've used live. So its spirit lives on. Um, but uh, that was the worst thing that uh, worst instrument damage I ever I ever inflicted. Um, but uh, that that was a great question. I enjoyed that as as I. Indeed, enjoyed all of your questions this week. It's been a pleasure again. Uh, hopefully, you enjoyed that. Hopefully, I haven't uh, upset anybody. If I upset anybody, you can vote with your feet. You don't have to listen to me if you don't want to. I hope that you do. Um, and I do hope that you continue to listen to me and to send your emails and your questions into me because I have a great time. I have a ball in here um, answering them and looking through them. And um, some of them put me on the spot a bit, but uh, I'm not scared of that. All right. Um, I've had many, many confrontations over the years with agents and record companies and, and uh, record labels and people like that. So hopefully I'm, I've learned a fair bit about how to handle myself in a diplomatic way. Anyway, look, enough about that. Um, great week again. Thanks for your questions. Have a wonderful week. We're working towards May the 17th. We were able to um, do a little bit more, see a few more people. Um, I'm sending love to you all, all right? Look, I'm going to get out of here. www.innovationstudios.com. Send me your questions at innovationstudiosuk at uh, gmail.com. Check us on Instagram. Check us on Twitter. Check us on Skype. And have a look at Grassroots, Grassroots Music UK. Have a look at the YouTube channel for that as well. All right, all, all of those links are on our various pages and um, I look forward to hearing from you soon. Look, I'm out of here, all right? You take care now. Yours in Music, signing off. Bye-bye for now.